You are listening to John DeYard's Life Spa, your premier source for health news in Ayurveda, where modern science meets ancient wisdom. Hi everyone, my name is Dr. John DeYard, and today I want to talk about Ayurvedic stem cell therapies. You know, stem cells are extremely popular these days. People are getting stem cell injections to live longer, to rebuild and rejuvenate their bodies. And what's interesting is in Ayurvedic medicine, the understanding of longevity was well established. In fact, they had a branch of Ayurveda called Rasayana that was specifically dedicated to the study of longevity. And many of those practices of longevity and many of the herbs um, that they used thousands of years ago have now been in fact proven to in fact boost stem cell activation. So stem cells are these progenitor cells in your body that we lose um, quantities of as we age and they can be harvested out of your body and then put back into certain parts of your body to support the regeneration and the rebuilding of your body like a, a young child or a teenager might have. So that's the strategy. Well, Ayurveda sort of had kind of went down this road pretty significantly. And so today's discussion is about all the different Ayurvedic stem cell therapies that were there. One of them, Nobel Prize winning science in 2017 on something called autophagy, which is what happens when you fast or calorie restrict or intermittent fast or time restricted eating. All of those have been shown to do something called autophagy. Autophagy means the automatic eating and gobbling up of the body's debris, you could say. So if you don't eat food and you're in the famine time, which traditionally happened in the spring when there really wasn't a lot of food to be had and you're waiting for the first harvest, um, the, what happens is that the body starts to figure out a way to take old stuff, toxins, debris, and reconstitute that into something nutritional in the process, getting rid of the bad and reconstituting some of the old into something new and useful. And the body seems to thrive for a period of time during this period of famine, during this period of autophagy or calorie restriction, which occurred naturally every spring, but not every year, not for long periods of time. And this happened, um, and when it does happen, science has shown for quite some time now that like mitochondria will make more energy, your cells will live longer, like really good things will happen when they first took people who started feeding them a little bit less. Like one study showed that the average American eats like 100% of the food that they need. And then they eat another 100% of the food that they actually don't really need. And if they were to just reduce the amount of food that they ate by 30%, still this is way more than they need because you're still reducing it from the 200% that they're eating, the studies were just mind-boggling off the charts. You know, blood pressure, obesity, diabetes, all these amazing things started happening. People simply got healthier when they didn't eat. So that sort of spawned a lot of interest in autophagy and the benefits of fasting and all those, all those kinds of all those kinds of things, which are um, which are really really important. What's interesting about fasting is back when I was, I think early 20s, I, I read my, my uh, first real health book called The Miracle of Fasting by Paul Bragg and started fasting, three days fast, seven day fast. And, and it became a thing. I think a lot of people back then in, in the, uh, must have been the early 70s, um, were fasting, sort of the mid to late 70s, I guess it was. And, um, and 
and there were studies done on fasting, I guess because there was a wave of fasting back then. And they found that when you fast that there were some side effects. They found that when people did a seven-day fast, about seven out of 48 of those people who did it had built up what's called bile sludge or gallbladder sludge in their liver and gallbladder. Um, when they did a longer fast, a 10-day fast, they found that 12 out of 38 people had bile sludge, and there was also a significant increase in um, gallstone risk when people um, did that. Uh, Dr. Walter Longa, who's a longevity researcher at USC, wrote a book called The Longevity Diet. Um, um, he said that people who fast, and he, that, that there's a significant increased risk of gallbladder disease, having your gallbladder removed when you fast over 12 hours. So the interesting thing about fasting is it wasn't, you know, we have Nobel Prize winning science that shows its incredible benefit. We have periods of famine during the springtime when people didn't have a lot of food and they starved and there was, we were evolutionarily wired to do that. But those were all based on times when people didn't eat a lot of processed food. They didn't eat a lot of indigestible food. So their livers and their gallbladders were a whole lot cleaner. So, so hear me out here for a second. You have a situation where um, you have a gallbladder, which is literally a sack of bile, that uh, the bile is produced in your liver, stored in your gallbladder, at about a 15 to 20 times concentrate. So we have bile, a sack of bile that's 15 to 20 times concentrated for fat, mostly. We don't eat enough fat in our diet today to come close to needing a sack of bile that's 15 to 20 times concentrated. That's sort of like the brains of a woolly mammoth or the intestines of an elephant or some ridiculous amount of fat that hunter-gatherers would have eaten on demand or on, on site because fats go bad very fast. So they would, when they would you know, hunt, they would have to eat all that fast in one sitting suggesting that we develop the ability to handle that much fat in one sitting. Okay, now fast forward to 1960, and we started doing this thing called, uh, you know, um, 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 hydrating our oils to make them more shelf stable. Because we take fat out of a seed, the oil out of a seed, it's extremely volatile to the light. So, you know, in the old days, they would, they would press the oils in dark rooms, put them in dark bottles, deliver them in the, in the early morning and before the light would come. And it was sort of like the milkman back in the day. And those oils were extremely volatile. And that was really, you know, and they're great for cooking and wonderful things, but wasn't really sustainable to do what we have today, which is aisles of oils on the grocery store shelves that don't go bad. Well, to do that, you had to bleach and boil and deodorize those oils at very high temperatures, kill everything in it, and leave it as a what's called a polyunsaturated, highly processed, refined fatty acid that is highly rich in what's called omega-6 fatty acids. So anyway, they put that stuff in a loaf of bread, for example, and the bread never goes hard. Back in the day when I was young, there were bakeries everywhere, and the, bakery, the bread would get hard at the end of the day, but by next day, it was day-old bread, it was over. Now bread never gets hard. It's because they put oil in it. We put stuff in crackers. All the stuff in the middle of your grocery store that is generally preserved either by salt or by oils, highly processed oils that preserve these foods. They extend the shelf life of the food, but not your life. So where do all those, in other words, if the bugs on the counter would eat those polyunsaturated fatty acids they put in the loaf of bread, then the loaf of bread would go bad in a day, but the loaf of bread doesn't go bad in a day, it stays on the shelf for a long, long time, squishy. 
you put it in your mouth, where does that oil go? The bugs in your body won't eat it. The bugs on the counter won't eat it. They're sort of the same. So where do the oils go? They go to your liver and your gallbladder. They congest your liver and your gallbladder. So now we have risks of liver congestion that may make us more vulnerable to things like gallbladder sludge when we actually fast. Now, why would fasting cause this risk? Because when you, when you are eating fatty food, you're constantly contracting your gallbladder, right? But if you fast, it just sits there stagnant. So the, so the, so the not-so-healthy bile from all the not-so-healthy fats can sit there and stagnate and become sludgy in your liver and gallbladder. And then when you fast, they can actually harden and become stones. And that's what the science tells us exactly happens when they did studies back in the early 80s. And Dr. Longo, who wrote a book recently, and you know, also says, suggests that not the greatest idea for everybody to be fasting because there's risks involved. So he created what's called a, a, uh, a fasting mimicking diet, where you still eat food, but you mimic the fasting uh, with calorie restriction, and you get the benefits of autophagy and the benefits of stem cells. So I want to talk about that in an Ayurvedic sense in a minute. Um, but I want to talk, you know, I want to go back to, you know, the fasting here for a second and the gallbladder issue. So what Ayurveda did was they said, you know what? Fasting might be a little bit harsh for a lot of people. And in Ayurvedic medicine, fasting isn't something that is like we do today. Fasting two weeks, you know, 21 day fast. And it, it was something that was very, very specifically prescribed at a certain time of the year for certain people. There were, you know, certain monthly fasts, you know, um, that, that were done based on the, the, the movement of the moon. But those were often those fasts were sort of religious. In, in religions, fasting was very common because it makes you more devotional when you don't eat. Um, but Ayurveda, from the fasting, from the medical pr pr perspective, it wasn't really a big thing. But they did do cleanses with ghee. Now, you've all heard of the Ayurvedic cleanse where you take ghee in the morning and then khichri during the day, and that's something that uh, is a classic Ayurvedic cleanse. It's been shown to um, be very effective at reducing um, heavy metals and pesticides. It, actually, it engages in something called lipid, lipidophilic or lipophilic, which means fat-happy or fat-liking um, detox or mediated detox. So it's a lipophilic mediated detoxification that takes place where the fat, the ghee, hooks onto the fat, you have the toxic fats and all the chemicals and environmental pollutants and pesticides and toxins are all fat soluble. So they hook onto each other and then they get escorted out of the body. So that's what the ghee cleanses have been actually been shown to do. But when you do a cleanse versus a fast, you actually also get, um, you also, um, don't have the risk of gallbladder congestion because when you take the ghee, it forces your gallbladder to contract. The issue with fasting, according to all the science, was when you don't force the gallbladder to contract and you've been eating a lot of junky food, right? You're not completely clean and ready for that. You run the risk of gallbladder issues or bile sludge being produced. That's the risk. It's a real risk. It's a well-documented risk. Well, everybody said, well, we don't want to do that risk, so we're going to give you a cleanse that uses ghee to contract and flush the gallbladder out which for us is really important because almost all of us when we go to a restaurant are gonna eat something with bad, highly processed oil in it and you don't even know it's happening. And those oils extend the shelf life of the food, but not your life. It goes right to your liver, your gallbladder. The number one abdominal surgery in America today is gallbladder surgery removal. And that's exactly why we have that. And that's exactly why when, before you go on a big fast, you wanna make sure that you've prepared yourself 
properly and cleaned out your, your digestive system in a way where you're you know, really able to handle um, this type of a fast. Um, and according to Dr. Walter Longo, who's the, the longevity research, he doesn't suggest that you do fasting, really, it's not really his thing. I'm sort of like saying, I kind of believe that there are incredible benefits with fasting, and I think, but you have to make sure that you're really prepared for it because there's risks involved if you're not. And if you eat a lot of junk food, a lot of processed food, then you could actually be, you know, putting yourself in harm's way by just going into a seven-day fast or something, something like that, which I think, uh, you know, is really critical. So, so that's the Ayurvedic, um, you know, kind of hack or fix for their science that says that fasting eh, might not be for everybody. And they sort of ancient wisdom now proven by modern science. How do they know that the ghee would do all these wonderful things? And I've written a lot of articles and videos on the ghee and the benefits of ghee and how it works. And I'm not going to get into that because I want to stay uh, true to stem cell therapies. But while we're on the top of the ghee, let me just say that the 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 ghee is um, uh, the highest food source of what's called butyric acid on the planet as a food. Butyric acid has been shown to boost mesenchymal stem cells in your body. So ghee, which is the highest food source of butyric acid, can thus be said to be a stem cell booster by itself, which is pretty cool. And how did they know to make ghee and use it as kind of, a, kind of an intestinal detoxifier? You have to boil, you know, you have to get milk and boil it off the milk solids and get just the pure oil of the milk itself and all the milk solids are gone, all the dairy aspects of it are gone pretty much, and you're looking at just a high concentrated source of butyric acid. You have gut bugs in your body that make butyric acid. Clostridium butyricum in your gut makes butyric acid. Number one source of energy for your colon cells. It's number one food for your gut bugs. Um, it supports gut immunity, which is 70% of your immune response. I mean, a lot of things are there, and when you take ghee in your gut, it heals for, and supports the proliferation of those good bugs, feeds them, supports intestinal integrity, intestinal integrity, supports the health of the colon cells, all these like really crazy things. Plus, it flushes your gallbladder, makes sure you don't have any gallbladder issues because that is a fat and it's going to require you to, 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 to that gallbladder to contract because when you do these Ayurvedic cleanses, you take a pretty significant amount of ghee. So that is a absolute, well-documented stem cell therapy. So that's it. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to talk about a couple of other things first before I get into, I want to talk about an Ayurvedic cleanse called Kayakalpa here in just a minute. Kayakalpa means body transformation, and it was transformation for longevity, which is big time stem cell support. So hold on, I want to talk about that in just a few minutes. But I want to talk, finish up on calorie restriction a little bit. Um, you know, everybody's doing um, some sort of calorie restriction, intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating is like the fad. Everybody's doing some version of that. And there is value in that. There's no doubt about it. But Ayurveda did talk about intermittent fasting in detail from a circadian medicine perspective. Also, Nobel Prize-winning science is circadian medicine, living and detoxifying in sync with the natural cycles of nature, which a lot of us don't do. So, um, so Ayurveda said, there's an old saying that says, if you eat um, uh, one meal a day, you're a yogi. You eat two meals a day, you're a bogey, which is a, a worker class doing heavy lifting, laborer, because you need two meals because you're doing more physical labor. And if you eat three meals a day, you're a rogi, which is a sick 
mostly dead person in a hospital. So three meals a day, you're sick in a hospital. Four, five, six meals a day people, they didn't have a name for that because you were mostly dead at three, right? So the whole point from that perspective was we really shouldn't eat that much. So calorie restriction was the thing for thousands of years and understanding the benefit of, of eating less and how important that was. So when we look at circadian medicine, circadian medicine says that we should have a better breakfast and a better lunch and a lighter supper. Study after study after study says if you eat a, a breakfast and a lunch and, and a small dinner versus a, you know, nothing for breakfast and a lunch and a supper, same calories, heavy, you know, the, the food being kind of weighted on the front side or the back side, eating a bigger breakfast and a lunch or a bigger lunch and supper, the people who eat the bigger breakfast and lunch significantly lost weight, health indexes significantly across the board significantly better in study after study after study. Studies also show people lose more weight when they, when they eat in a time-restricted way. Eat in a window of, you know, let's say, eight hours and then fast for 16 hours, which, according to Dr. Longo, that puts your gallbladder a little bit, at a little bit of a risk. However, studies also show significant benefit as well. So here's where science doesn't give us all the answers, but, um, but there's good science in that. So, so a lot of people will say, well, why don't you just like skip breakfast, have a lunch and a supper, and then do it that every single day, which is a fine way to do intermittent fasting and get yourself into a smaller eating window, so a longer fast, which the idea historically was breakfast, breaking the fast, and it was like a breakfast, and then you would have a nice big meal at lunch, and then a supp supplemental, soup-like, supper-like meal in the evening, and that was either earlier, and that would give you, uh, or even no supper, and then you would fast for longer periods of time. And that was the original intermittent fasting. In fact, I did a study on, on intermittent fasting in the year 2000 based on my book, The Three Season Diet. And we had about, I think we ended up with about 18 people or 22 people, um, I forget now, in our study. And we had to eat breakfast um, and a lunch. And then we um, asked them to have a, um, a light supper with no snacks. And we um, measured their... Uh, anxiety, depression, cravings, fatigue, exhaustion, and insomnia um, after every two weeks during the study. And of course, weight loss as well. And halfway through the study, half the study group told me that they wanted to, wondered if they could just skip supper and not eat supper at all. And I said, absolutely, supper is an optional meal. It's a supplemental meal. You don't really need to eat it. They all lost uh, 1.2 pounds per week during the study. They were significantly improved in anxiety, depression, cognitive decline, insomnia was better, energy after work, cravings disappeared. All these amazing things happened. Now, the first week when they first started not having their snacks, they were craving their snacks because they were used to the, getting their sugar as their fuel. But by having breakfast and nothing till lunch and then lunch and nothing till supper, making supper smaller, they were forced to burn fat in between the meals. And once they started burning fat, they didn't really feel it. They had a night, and lunch was the bigger meal of the day. They started feeling like they didn't really need supper. So they stopped eating supper. And they were now fasting from lunch all the way to breakfast the next day, having a really long fast. So, so I have an ebook called the Weight Balancing Ebook, which was written back in 2000, that gives you the Ayurvedic 
intermittent fasting approach, which is, you know, start, and here are the steps, very simple, and there's workbooks in there, it's all for free. You do a three meals a day, no snack to start. That's comfortable for you. Then you have a, a little bit of a lighter supper, a soup or a salad for supper, always making lunch the bigger meal of the day. Have a breakfast, big enough to get you to lunch. Have a nice big lunch, big enough to get you to supper, and supper big enough to get you to bed. Once you get that good, then you take, make supper a little lighter, a little lighter, a little lighter, like a soup or a salad. Once that feels pretty good, you're not picking out with these big dinners at night, which is a circadian you no-no, know, -no, because the clocks of digestion aren't on at night when we're eating our big dinners, um, according to Nobel Prize winning circadian medicine science. Um, so the second step would be, or the third step, after you, after you accommodate light supper, you can have a little bit of a earlier supper before six o'clock. And if that's comfortable, only if these steps are comfortable, then you go to skipping supper. And you can start doing that like three to seven nights per week. Drink a lot of water in between your meals. And now you're fasting from lunch all the way till breakfast the next day, forcing your body into autophagy. The calorie-restricted benefits of stem cells are there as well. And you get all the benefits. This is an Ayurvedic approach of eating that's been around for thousands of years, and it's been well-tested now with modern science. So it's pretty cool, right? Um, pretty interesting that, that such a simple technique uh, has been around for so long. And um, once again, ancient wisdom now sort of proved by, by modern science, which is pretty cool. Um, so that's, that's one of the ways, and you, go get, you can get that on my weight balancing ebook and, and learn more about, there's, work, there's workbooks in there and that guide you through that, that process. And it's a kind and gentle way to do it as well, as opposed to just going and saying, I'm just gonna not eat for two weeks. Because that could sort of shock your system and make your gallbladder not contract and then therefore create some sludge or some, you know, some hardening of the bile that might get trapped in the bile ducture of the gallbladder. So it's something to consider. Uh, and Ayurveda is really all about, you know, kind and gentle, which is, um, you know, really, really important. A um, couple of other things is that in, um, in Ayurvedic medicine, other uh, herbs have been proven to be stem cell activators. Uh, turmeric has been shown to be a stem cell activator, uh, which I think is really interesting is curcumin, which is the extract of, of turmeric. It's one of the 300 constituents constituents in turmeric was also shown to boost stem cells. But if they gave a little bit too much curcumin, it actually not only did it not produce stem cells, it actually became toxic to the body at that cellular level. Where turmeric alone didn't produce any toxicity at all. So once again, we, we start thinking about, hmm, when you take a plant like turmeric with 300 constituents, and you take one constituent out, and you use that and concentrate it and use it as a medicine, you've changed it. You've made it into something that's not what turmeric was anymore. It's now curcumin, not turmeric. Although it's very medicinal, has all these great benefits, we're now seeing that curcumin has some pretty significant side effects, just like a drug would. You know, you watch the TV show and the people are walking on the beautiful beach and they're telling you about all the ways this drug might kill you, right? Or cause some other side effect of some sort. Or curcumin, because it's so powerful, can be medicinal, incredibly medicinal, but it can also have some risks involved. And particularly in the stem cell research, it didn't produce stem cells at a high level and it actually was toxic. So that's sort of a beautiful understanding, once again, of Ayurveda. We take all of nature and work with it. We don't try to overrule it or break the intelligence of nature in any way. So always be thinking of turmeric. One of the ways that we do it, if we take turmeric, 
powder, the whole root. And, uh, and by the way, there's another constituent of turmeric called tumorone, which has been shown to increase stem cells as well. So the curcumin wasn't the only part of turmeric that increased stem cells. So there are 300 constituents there that all synergistically together may actually work a lot better as a stem cell activator than just that one constituent. So, but when you take turmeric and add a little black pepper to it, 16 parts turmeric, one part black pepper, you boost the absorption bioavailability, which is the trick of turmeric, by 2,000% in one study and 200% in another. Either way, it's a massive boost in, in, uh, in bioavailability. So that's something to, to, uh, to really be, it's interesting because that's what Ayurveda did. It worked with these herbs together to over, years of time-tested research and trial and error, they figured out how to make these work in a really nice, kind and gentle and natural way. Beautiful thing. Um, amalaki, the vitamin C berry that um, is harvested in the winter that protects your fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K from becoming rancid and reconstitutes them when they're not, is also a stem cell activator, a stem cell booster, particularly for the, in the brain and central nervous system. Um, it, it's, been, it's been shown to work. And Brahmi, Centella asiatica, another uh, mesenchymal stem cell activator as well. So I use these herbs in our, our Kayakalpa, the longevity cleanses as well because they're so profound and so effective. Um, so I wanna talk about now uh, a cleanse that, that I put together. You know, we have our Colorado cleanse, which is our two-week digestive reset cleanse. We have our short old cleanse, which is our four-day cleanse. It's a free ebook you can download and do uh, anytime that you like. It's really super easy and simple, but it uses the ghee in the morning and then the kitchery during the day, and there's some dietary options and alternatives you can do there as well, but the benefits are there. And, and what's striking about those cleanses is, the, is how, how close they were to the stem cell and autophagy research. And I was like, wow, these cleanses are very, very close to exactly what the Ayurvedic cleanses were. So I put together a cleanse called the Kayakalpa cleanse, which is specifically exactly like in terms of calorie and calorie restriction, the exact dosages and calories that you need to get the scientific-backed, evidence-based stem cell activation, which is pretty, pretty cool. So. Let me just give you a quick little brief uh, rundown of what Kayakalpa is. Now, um, many, many years ago, probably 1980, I read a book called Topophagy, which is a, uh, a, 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 um, what, uh, he was a Maharaja or a, 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 um, a yogi who lived in a cave and, and um, was an extremely well-known yogi. And um, there were these techniques called Kayakalpa where you could get deep, deep rejuvenation and supposedly your teeth would fall and your hair would fall and grow back new and your skin would peel and you'd then, you know, you would, you would from, if you were at 100 years old, you would then look like you're 30 and then you could do this again. Anyway, this guy supposedly lived to be 185 years old. He did Kayakalpa a couple of times, lived to be a very, very long, a very long life. And, um, and whether or not all that's true or not, it was, but it's fascinating. And when I read that book, I was fascinated. So I went into India in 1986. I was, again, fascinated and wanted to know more about Kayakalpa and figured it out, all out and, and never stopped asking questions about Kayakalpa. And, and um, a lot of the clinics that I would, very remote clinics I would go where they were doing some of these 
really ancient techniques would tell me that those herbs aren't really available so much anymore and this and that. And, and so I never really stumbled upon it until I read a book by Dr. Walter Longa, the UCSC longevity researcher. And in 1990, a bunch of scientists went into a biosphere where they grew their own food and they were in isolation for two years. And when they came out, by, uh, this Dr. Walter Longa was there and he measured, uh, they were all super skinny and not super happy because they were in this place for seven, two years. And, and, uh, and he looked at that and he said, wow, this is crazy. Their organs had literally shrunk in size. And then shortly thereafter, they grew big again. And he goes, the only way that could have ever happened is they had stem cells would have done that. So he started doing research on fruit flies and then mice and then humans. And he actually created what he called a fasting mimicking diet, which is actually a diet that will increase stem cell activation and autophagy and all these incredibly Nobel Prize winning benefits uh, without having to go through the fast and run the risk of what I talked about in the beginning, the gallbladder issues and the risk of that. But he added a diet that was about um, between 800 and 1100 calories a day you would eat during this kind of five day cleanse. And I'll describe more of that in just a minute. But that was the, uh, that was the, um, the, the uh, uh, longevity diet that he put together. So I looked at that diet and I was like, golly, you know, that's so diet, those, those numbers are so close to what we do in our Colorado cleanse and our short home cleanse. And I'm sure that those produce autophagy and stem cells because they're so close. But I decided to take this Kayakalpa cleanse and use the Kayakalpa, uh, the, 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 the calorie restricted um, numbers that Dr. Walter Longo did and put it into our Kayakalpa cleanse. But Kayakalpa was more than that. It was body-mind transformation. So it had to do with deep, deep retreat, removing old emotional patterns of behavior, um, shedding, becoming conscious and, and in a way that allows us to you know, shed, you know, clean, purify this crazy mind of ours. I think all of us would agree, right? That it's this crazy mind of ours that makes us do the same dumb stuff again and again and again, puts so much stress on us and takes us out wherever our weak link is it seems like the stress seems to find its way in there and 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 takes care of business right so so we we really do know and i think all of us will agree that it's our mind that we have to then figure out and we can do ghee and cleanses all day long but until you start addressing the mind side of it mm, doesn't really work so good so what i put together was kayakalpa which is the traditional transformational detox now we have two versions of that, and it's an ebook. It's free. One, one version that's called the Everyday Kayakalpa. It's a five-day cleanse that literally matches the calorie restriction that is done was done at USC as part of their longevity science, where you take a thousand calories um, the first day and then 800 calories for the next four days, and it's a very specific process. And we just and I just tweaked those numbers to be the, using the certain amount of ghee that you would use in the morning and a certain amount of kitchery you would use during the day to match those numbers. And we have the exact same calorie restricted numbers that you would get to boost autophagy and stem cell activation. Really, really cool. And that's the everyday, do it while you work, pretty straightforward um, Kayakalpa cleanse. However, I think it's really important that you have been that you've, you've done either our short home cleanse and, or our Colorado cleanse and you're a little bit of a seasons cleanser before you, uh, you know, try the, the, um, the Kayakalpa cleanse because it's a, it's a little bit longer and it's a little bit more restrictive. So just be aware of that. Well, then there's the Kayakalpa 
retreat chiocalpal stem cell cleanse, which is different. It's where we actually do a lot of the actual, you know, um, retreating, stilling your mind, creating a pure, clear, calm lake of self-awareness where you can see more clearly what the crazy mind has conjured up in the name of protective patterns of behavior that we might still be projecting on the screen today as adults and become aware of those and then take transformational action to free yourselves in that way. So that's the cool part. The Kayakalpa cleanse, the Kayakalpa retreat cleanse, if you have five days for yourself, I map out self-inquiry exercises, breathing exercises, meditation, yoga, to kind of unravel all of the protective patterns of behavior that we might have. Um, so let me describe how that works. One study showed that 95% of the things we think and say and do as adults come from impressions, experiences that we had in the first six years of our life. So we then grow up interacting, thinking, behaving based on those impressions, which just seems mind-boggling that 95% of the things we think and say and do can come from those impressions, which means we're basically unconscious. Most of the things we think and say and do aren't really coming from, from our original thinking. They're coming from impressions from way back when. And it's not just one study. There's a handful of studies. And if it's not even 95, it's 85, it's still a crazy number. Even if it was 50%, it's still a crazy number. Point being, pretty well established, we're pretty unconscious, you know, and how important it is for us to become conscious literally is the goal of Ayurvedic medicine and all Vedic sciences. That's the whole point. Ayurveda, Ayur means life, Veda means science, is the science of life. You could look at that and say, it's a science of living life in sync with the natural cycle, circadian medicine. I'm in. That's great because circadian medicine is literally Nobel Prize winning science. We should all live in sync with Ayurveda, with the cycles of nature. That's Ayurveda 101. But Ayurveda also means something else. Ayu means life. Veda means truth as well. So it's the truth of your life. And if you're living and expressing 95% of the things you think and say and do based on impressions from the first six years of life, you're not, that's not your truth. Those protective patterns, personality traits that you created just to be safe and survive your childhood. But when do we become conscious? We've lost our rights of passage to free ourselves from those old impressions and become us and step, into the, step up to the plate and let who we truly are out. Let the powerful, delicate petals of our flower open. We don't do that anymore. We've created a culture where we get juiced by reward chemistry, shopping, you know, likes on Facebook, everything coming our way sort of stimulates and, and feeds us with short-term contentment and leaves us wanting something else to fill ourselves up. And that's the world we live in. And that's the brain chemistry that we've, we've, we've uh, unfortunately mustered up over time. So, so here's how those impressions work. And then I'm going to tell you how we can unravel them. Okay. In Ayurvedic medicine, there are three emotional aspects of Vata, Pitta, Kapha, Pranavata, Sadaka, Pitta, and Tarpaka, Kapha. So those are the emotional aspects of Vata, Pitta, and Kapha. We feel everything in our heart, which is called Sadaka, Pitta. So we have all these impressions come into our heart. We feel them. You all know what it's like to get hurt feelings. And you all probably can feel it in your heart. You just constrict and wall off. And, and then we, we take those emotions and we somehow figure out a way to, to store those emotions in our fat. 
And those fats remotely make us think and do the same dumb stuff again and again. So if anybody triggers this, tries to do the same dumb thing again to, to you that happened in the past, you already have a pre-recorded stress response for that. You're ready to go. In other words, if you were a hunter-gatherer, you went into a cave, got chased out of the cave by a lion, you would record that memory and you would know never to go into that cave again. You could be 85 years old and you go, ooh, this cave looks familiar. I remember this cave. Don't go in that cave because there's a lion in there. You remember it. So we store these emotional constrictions in our fat, but they also make us change our behavior in a protective way. They armor us up. So what happens is those emotions felt by sadhaka pitta are carried to our brain by what's called pranavata. Vata is what moves, it's the air, right? So the pranavata carries these impressions to our brain, particularly a part of our brain called the white matter of the brain. And the white matter of the brain, the neurons are wrapped in fat called myelin sheaths. And that fat is an impressionable fatty sheath. Again, the old saying, we store mental ama, Ayurveda calls emotions, mental ama, in our fat. Well, those, that fat just happens to be in the white matter in the center of your brain. And, <coughs> excuse me, it's called the white matter and it's called the myelin sheath. And that myelin sheath is called tarpaka kapha which karpaka means to record. So it's the place where we record all those emotional impressions. Let me get that straight. You feel it in your heart as emotional impressions. You then create an emotional response that's carried to your brain through pranavata to, to, that imprints that memory of that emotion in your brain, in the white matter of your brain, on the tarpaka kapha, which is the myelin sheath, which is extremely soft and extremely impressionable. So it gets imprinted there, but because it's soft and impressionable, it's, it's, uh, it's neuroplastic. It has the ability to, to reshape and to reform. And that is what Ayurveda was all about. That's what Vedic science is all about, is becoming conscious. That's what the Kayakalpa cleanse is all about, is becoming conscious. We all know that we do the same dumb thing again and again. We, we, we have repetitive patterns of behavior. We attract the same kind of partner that doesn't work. We do it again and again and again, and we can't break those patterns. And that is what Ayurveda, really one of the reasons why Ayurveda was about. Ayurveda science was about human potential. It wasn't about just, you know, not having heartburn. Of course, that's a part of, you gotta get your body balanced to, to be able to do these things. So it was all part of the process, but the big goal was really something quite different than just you know not having heartburn or something like that. It's longevity, and longevity because you need a lot of time to become conscious. It takes a while to scrub a lot of these crazy thoughts that we have, right? So, so here's how it works. Think of your, uh, think of your, uh, your myelin sheaths like, uh, like, a, like a, uh, a sandbox that you could hold in your hand and you, you draw some lines in the sand, right? And then you, and those are your emotional impressions, imprinted, old traumas that happened in your life. So you never forget that bear in that cave thing, right? You never forget it, it's always right there. And then you shake that sand and you vibrate it, right? And all of a sudden, those lines are gone, right? They're gone, they're not there anymore. You wrote them, they were there, but now they're gone. In a similar way, Ayurvedic medicine used vibrational therapies to actually erase these emotional traumas that were imprinted 
into your Charpaka Kapha, into your myelin sheaths. Now, I don't have exact science to back up exactly what I said, but I do have science to, to back up a lot of what I said. There are studies to show that chanting and humming and vibrational therapies have been shown to actually create neuroplasticity in your brain, which is exactly what I'm talking about. So, so um, you know, it doesn't show that by changing those neuroplasticity agents that, that old emotional patterns have gone away. But Tarpakakatha also represents the lymphatic drainage of your brain. The glymphatic system, newly discovered 10 years ago, the University of Virginia found that we drain three pounds of chemicals and plaque out of your head every year while you sleep at night. And if those lymphs, they've known now discovered since, if those brain lymphs aren't draining the waste, and that's tarpakakafa draining the junk out of your brain three pounds per year, if you can't get the trash out, you can't really create the, get the good stuff in because you can't get the bad, like the bad stuff out. So everything stays congested. So again, we hold on to those emotional patterns. And studies have shown if you can increase lymphatic circulation, it's directly linked to, well, let me say it this way. If you have lymphatic congestion in your brain, then that's directly linked to anxiety, depression, cognitive decline, loss of memory, old emotional trauma, inflammation, infection, and even autoimmune conditions because autoimmune conditions is an overzealous immune reaction. Well, if your master computer doesn't, is congested, can't get its trash out, it doesn't know how many fire trucks attend to the fire on Main Street. It's like one fire truck, two, five, ten, I don't know. So it might send a hundred, which is an overzealous autoimmune reaction. So, so we now have a mechanism for understanding autoimmunity all because of how well the brain drains its waste because it's the master computer, right? So, so getting your lymphatic system to work is strength linked to old emotional trauma. Breathing techniques uh, that I've written a lot about um, that are in the Kayakalpa ebook, um, Kapalabhate, for example, which literally means skull cleansing breathing techniques. So techniques to clean out your skull to get the lymphatic system moving were not only written about, they just they named it after that. So read my article on Kapalabhate breathing. And I write and I cite all the science there. You just go to my website, type in Kapalabhate. It's K-A-P-A-L-A-B-H-A-T-A. -A -A. Um, it's in the Kayakalpa Cleanse ebook as well, um, which is free. Download that. You'll see it. It's in the the in the this is we're talking about now, remember. The retreat during your five-day Kayakalpa cleanse, where you're going to do yoga, breathing, meditation, humming, vibrational therapies to shake the sand and soften that myelin sheath that's holding those old impressions and keep raising that vibration to a point where those impressions are, you're made more aware of those and simply realize that, you know, um, that protective pattern served me well when I was a young kid, but don't need it anymore. So we're going to teach you how to raise your vibration while you're doing the Kayakalpa stem cell autophagy cleansing technique. And we're going to replicate true Kayakalpa the way it was done in the old days. Now, I don't know that they had teeth fall, hair fall, skin peel, all grew back. I would imagine that that's a lot of, you know, kind of playing the phone game, right? You know, the story may have been, been uh, exaggerated over time. But a lot of those stories that were exaggerated over time came from something. And uh, that Kayakalpa technique 
has now been proven by modern science to literally increase stem cell activation and autophagy, both, well, autophagy is Nobel Prize winning science, and perhaps even more importantly, is when I start to, I've done a lot of research now on all the different types of breathing techniques and chanting and vibrational therapies in Ayurveda, and I'm finding all types of dramatic shifts in brain chemistry and you know, support for anxiety and depression and mood-related issues. It, the science is all there. So, so in the Kayakalpa ebook, there's links to all the articles that I wrote on Brahmari, which is a you know, close your ears and humming mm, technique. And when you hum, right, through your nose, you increase nitric oxide, another Nobel Prize winning molecule, the panacea molecule, you increase it by 15 times. That's a panacea repair molecule discovered in 1998, won the Nobel Prize. It's produced when you breathe through your nose, produced zero when you breathe through your mouth. And when you, breathe, when you hum, you increase the production of that by 15 times. Like how crazy is that, that you could get that much nitric oxide just by humming. So these vibrational techniques have been proved. So nitric oxide through breathing and pranayama, great. It's a repair agent. Repairs probably you know, neuroplasticity as well. I haven't seen that science, but it is the Nobel Prize winning panacea molecule. Nobel Prize winning scientists don't use the word panacea because it's crazy that they would even mention that, that this molecule cures everything, basically. But you do, it does, and, and you produce it on your own. And when you hum or chant, you amp up even more. Studies show that when you chant, whether it be Gregorian chanting or didgeridoos or Buddhist chanting or, 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 or Vedic chanting or humming or even singing, it all creates vibration. And there's studies show that support the notion that this can change your brain chemistry, raise your vibration, soften the impressions on the myelin sheath, and actually allow you to free yourself from those old unconscious patterns of behavior and become conscious once again. That's Ayurveda, that's Vedic science, and that's what Kayakalpa was all about. And I'm super thrilled by it, because I, I, and of course, you probably all heard me talk about my, the nausea techniques, the, the breathing, the nausea where you use medicated oil to sniff up into your sinuses to clean out the, the tarpaka kapha sagittal sinuses, which is all tarpaka kapha, by the way, where you hold on to three pounds of chemicals and plaque every year while you sleep. Um, and it turns out that those brain limps drain guess where into the limps in your nose, into the sinuses in your nose. So like, wow, how did they know that those limps were even there since we only discovered them about 10 years ago? Thousands of years ago, they knew that they were there. They knew they were linked to old emotional trauma, which they are, and science has backed that up. They knew, they knew that they drained into the nose, and they knew that if they could use some medicated oils and sniff up into the sagittal sinus, they could actually support a better detoxification, a normal detoxification of those brain lymphatics. And really good things would happen mentally, emotionally. Now, I use those techniques in my, my Panchakarma clinics for 26 years, and I would watch that technique make powerful transformational changes in their freeing of old emotional trauma, becoming conscious. So when we add that, and that's in the Kayakalpa cleanse, by the way, as well. When you add that to the, the vibrational therapies of yoga, breathing, meditating, chanting, humming, all of a sudden, we start changing the rules and that those higher thoughts, those more pure thoughts, breaking away from old addictions and old patterns of behavior that you just couldn't shed, all of a sudden that seems to be in our grasp because we can raise our 
we can raise our mental vibrational thinking patterns and therefore become uh, you know, more functional in a conscious way and not be sentenced to a life of repetitive patterns of behavior based on impressions that maybe weren't so great when you were a kid. It's time to become free. Take that rite of passage. Free yourself from those old patterns of behavior. And that's exactly what stem cell, Ayurvedic stem cell theories were about. They weren't about just, we just want to live long. I want to live to be 180 or whatever it is. Yeah, that's great. But consciously, we want to evolve and, and, and maximize this human potential. We, we use 10% of our brain. That, that's not really that much. And Ayurveda was sort of set on, you know, moving the needle there just a little bit. I think it's just fascinating and profound. So in summary, what we have here is we have a bunch of homework for you guys to do. One, download my free Kayakalpa ebook. There's two cleanses in there. One is called the Everyday Kayakalpa Stem Cell Kayakalpa Cleanse. And one is called the Retreat Stem Cell Kayakalpa Cleanse. If you can take five days and find time to retreat, boy, do that. Um, and, but it's all there for you. Read that. In the ebook, there's links to all the articles on the, 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 the Kalabate breathing, the Bastrika breathing, the, the Brahmari breathing, the meditation techniques, the yoga, all there for you to get the best Kayakalpa bang for your buck to really make the deep transformation. And of course, you've got the calorie-restricted, science-based, evidence-based, calorie-restricted autophagy benefits just from doing the five days of ghee and kitchri that's all set up there for you. There's herbs you take, Amalaki and Brahmi, of course, stem cell activators, in during the cleanse as well, uh, the Kayakalpa cleanse as well. So it's all there. It's sort of, uh, you know, it's sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, taking our short home cleanse and our Colorado cleanse and taking it to another level to really give you the, 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 the platform to make really deep, deep transformation on some of those old mental, emotional patterns and get the benefit of autophagy and stem cell activation. So don't forget to download the free ebook. It's free, Kaya Kalpa, that's K-A-Y-A, Kalpa, K-A-L-P-A. The It's the Kaya Kalpa uh, stem cell uh, cleanse. So please check that out. And um, stay, stay tuned next time where we get into more details in our future podcast. We have lots of really great guests coming up, so stay tuned for that. And check us out, all these articles on our website, at lifespa.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. John Viard.